Today's passage is from Revelation 13, 1 to 10. The dragon stood on the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have had a fatal wound, but the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and worshipped the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, Who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise its authority for 42 months. It opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It was given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all whose names have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. Whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. This is the word of the Lord. Hey, as I mentioned earlier, uh, I'm glad you're able to make it out on this uh, long weekend. Happy uh, Canada Day uh, to all of you. I'm not sure how you've been celebrating, but this weekend I'm thankful uh, to uh, live in such a beautiful part of the world, uh, to call Vancouver home, and a beautiful and free country uh, that, that we live in. And also for us, that we get to live, work, and worship on the unceded and ancestral territories of the Musqueam, Squamish, and Tsleil-Waututh peoples. That we're reminded of the ongoing work that's in, uh, that's going on in our city, and that that's the context in which our church uh, is grounded upon. But I'm glad that you're here, and we are continuing our series on a book of Revelations. And this is your first time here. You're in for a doozy of a passage again, which it seems like every single week it's just jam-packed. Because today we're talking about spiritual warfare and the Antichrist, and you're like, "Woo! I've walked into." Some sort of service, and if this is your first church service ever, uh, just hold on. We're going to have more conversations uh, afterwards, because this is quite a bit, uh, that all happening all in one time. But yeah, we are continuing our series called Revelations Future and Focus, because we're learning what it looks like uh, to have the future in focus for us, so that we can understand what's going on right now in our current uh, reality. Someone asked me yesterday at our church picnic, and it was great. Uh, it, it went longer than we thought because people wanted to hang out, and I uh, accidentally took a very long nap uh, afterwards because I was very tired. Uh, but it was very, very good to enjoy a community and time with one another. But the person asked me, how much longer is this series going for? I'm like, why? You know? uh, but <laughs> I was like, we're going all the way through summer uh, to the end of September, literally to the end of summer. I think that's the... Um, that's when the series is going to end. So we're slowly making our way through uh, Revelations here. But Revelations, the word in Greek means apocalypses, which means to unveil. And we've been learning what Jesus is showing the Apostle John, what he's unveiling to the, the, the Apostle, letting him to see not just the future, but also the current realities of what's going on right now. 
A reminder that as 96 AD and the Apostle John is, uh, is, is, is exiled on an island called Patmos for his faith. He's, he's being persecuted for following Jesus and they try to shut him up, lock him on an island, but yet he receives this vision from God and pens the, the book, uh, the, the letter uh, of Revelations, the letters to the churches for us to hear today. And Christians in that time, they're being persecuted left, right, and center. People are dying for their faith. But yet we get this encouragement uh, found in the word here. Now today, Revelations 13, 1 to 10 is found within the greater context of Revelations 11, 9, 19, all the way to 15. So we're kind of going into uh, the story here uh, of the, the beast and the spiritual war that's going on around us. In chapter 13 specifically, we're going to encounter the beast of the sea and then later on, which is next week's passage, the beast of the land. And the beast of the sea, I'll just say straight up here, represents the spiritual powers that controls the political realm. Uh, and the beast of the land is talking about spiritual control, so false prophets and whatnot. So come back for more uh, next week as we talk about that. So the combination here, the big idea is this, that the, the combination of Satan and the political realm and the religious realm, just like in that day, uh, if you owned uh, politics and religion, you kind of owned uh, the world. So here, the combination of Satan, uh, politics, and religious control make up the false trinity as Satan tries to mimic the holy trinity, uh, the, the, the false trinity that, that's against the world. And today's passage might sound familiar in, in a strange way, even though we don't talk about beasts and dragons and all that, but it might sound weird and off-putting, but it's not something we're unfamiliar with. Why is that? Well, in Revelations, uh, why is that? Well, Satan, he's been, he doesn't have any new tricks in his bag. All of it is mimicked and copied from someone else. Like He's like, God is pretty good and people are following him, so I'm going to try to copy him and try to lead people astray. Satan doesn't have any new tricks. And think about it, like uh, empires that try to uh, control both religion and politics. We can think of many, and maybe some that come to mind is Egypt, the Egyptians in Moses' time, or the Babylonians and Persians in Daniel's day, or all the way to uh, more modern history, like Nazis and Stalin in the 20th century, where you try to control one religion and politics. And we understand that if we control that, then you kind of own people and the world. Well, all of this, I want to argue this morning that it comes from the spiritual warfare that's going on. Yes, people are responsible, but it comes from the spiritual warfare. We read in Revelation 12, 17, which is the last verse. A context is always important when we read scripture. So verse 17 is the last verse of the last chapter, just before we read today's verse, uh, scripture. It says this, then the dragon was enraged at the woman and went off to wage war against the rest of her offspring, those who keep command, God's commands and hold fast their testimony about Jesus. So we see that as Pastor Kevin Tran, our guest speaker last week, uh, spoke upon how uh, there's the birth of Jesus and the Savior and the dragon, which is Satan, wanted to stop the birth of the Savior, but was unsuccessful. Because he was unsuccessful, he's trying to wreak havoc to all those that follow this Messiah, all those that follow Jesus, all those that are here today and listening uh, online or maybe in the recording that say that Jesus is their Lord and Savior, that Satan has vowed to himself and to the world that he's going to wreak uh, destruction upon those people. And that's the big idea this morning, that spiritual warfare is why it's a struggle to be a Christian. I'm gonna, that's a very big statement. 
But simply, simply speaking, it's spiritual warfare is why we struggle, why it's so difficult today, what they said, July, July 2nd, why it's so difficult to be a Christian in Vancouver and around the world and before our time and will be after our time because everything is spiritual. I'm not sure if you thought about that. Everything, every struggle that we have is spiritual. Why you do what you do, why you think what you think, why you love what you love, why you say what you say, all of it is a spiritual battle that's going on behind the scenes and it is a spiritual battle for your heart. But even though the spiritual warfare, and spiritual warfare is a struggle that we're caught up in as Christians, we see in the text here a reminder. And today we're talking a lot about the Antichrist. And the focus, every sermon is about Jesus. Today I'm talking a lot about the anti-Jesus, the Antichrist. But also it helps us to understand and appreciate Jesus all the more. As we come to learn about the Antichrist and his tactics and, and how he goes about trying to wreak havoc in our lives, it's not to uh, raise up fear in us. It's actually to help us feel prepared and to understand how God is actually for us. Point number one today, is in the te- as we see in the text, is don't be overwhelmed by, by yet also don't underestimate the influence of Satan. Sorry, that sentence could be better. <laughs> don't be overwhelmed by, yet also don't, I'm missing a word there, yet also don't underestimate the influence of Jesus. So don't be overwhelmed on one hand, but also don't underestimate. Right, because some of us, as we talk about end times, we're all like rallying, like, yeah, end times, you know, Satan's behind every tree. And we've got to be like on our toes, and yes, that is true. Yet on the other end, there's also like, you know what, we don't know when the end's going to come. There's no antichrist, there's no spiritual warfare, so we're not going to talk about it at all. No, I think it's actually the pendulum ought to swing in the, in the middle a little bit. Don't be overwhelmed by the influence of Satan, but also don't underestimate. Don't underestimate him. Because Satan, as we read in verses 1 to 4, that he is the master of imitation. Satan, he's a deceiver. As we take from passages like in verse 9, Revelation 13, 9, the great dragon was uh, hurled down, that ancient serpent, serpent called the devil or Satan, who leads the whole world astray. That's what Satan does, lead us astray. Or 2 Corinthians eleven fourteen to 15, and no longer, for Satan himself masquerades as an angel of light. It is not surprising then if his servants also masquerade as servants of righteousness. Their end will be at what their actions deserve. So there's this hiding, there's this masking, there's this masquerading going on that it's not really easy to detect and to see what, G, uh, what, 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 uh, what Satan is trying to do to Jesus uh, and his followers. But these deceiving thoughts might come into our lives, might come into to your life. This deception might not come in the form of a, of a person necessarily, but it's thoughts that infiltrate uh, into our hearts and minds. Thoughts that like y- you're not worthy. Like who are you to think you deserve life and the goodness of life? You're not good enough. You need to get this and that in order to be something or to make something out of your life. Like certain thoughts not only operate around us, but inside of us as well. And Satan has a very cunning way of twisting thoughts and, and for us to, uh, to, to have us fall off the trail and to follow him. Because Satan, he's the, uh, uh, the great imitator and he creates this beast, which is an imitating kind of beast. There's a saying that if it looks like a duck, walks like a duck, and quacks like a duck, it may what? It may just as well be a duck. And I think Satan uses that tactic <laughs> quite, 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 uh, 
quite seriously, that he's like, he knows what I, we're looking for. He knows what's our heart's desire. He knows what God looks like, what God does. So he tries really hard to mimic. He does a pretty good job. And if we're not, uh, we're, if we're not discerning, if we're not in community, if we're not praying, we're not reading his word, we're not, uh, we're not being guarded. Our hearts and our minds aren't being guarded. It's very easy to follow something that looks really good but actually isn't for us. But what is the Antichrist? Like, who is this person that's going up against God and Jesus? Well, as we read, I'm kind of trying to summarize. There's books and books and courses uh, on this, but I'm trying to, uh, I'm, trying to, I'm, trying, I'm trying to synthesize all of it into a, a cohesive manner. But he will be very active in the last hour. That's kind of the biblical language that we use. What do we mean by the last hour? Uh, theologians and the apostles believe the last hour is the moment that Jesus ascended into heaven until when he comes back. So in between, we're living in the last hour, and the Antichrist will be very active during this time, wreaking havoc upon God's people. He's also not necessarily a person, but he's also a spirit, a pattern, or occasionally could be a person or, a, or persons that he influences. We read passages like 1 John 4, 2 to 3. This is how you can recognize the spirit of God. Every spirit that acknowledges that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God, but every spirit that does not acknowledge Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist, which you have heard is coming and even now is already in the world. So we, we don't need to be overwhelmed, but we don't underestimate the power of the Antichrist as well because some of us are like, I didn't even know there was an Antichrist. I didn't even know there's spiritual warfare going on. I didn't know that someone is trying to fight for my heart so that I, they lead me astray, so that I don't have this relationship with Jesus, so that I don't have salvation. I don't, I don't end up having this eternal life with him. I didn't know any of that. Well, that's the work of the Antichrist, trying to deceive us and lead us astray. So we read here in our text today, that's a lot of text, so try to follow along with me. But we read again, the dragon stood at the shore of the sea, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea. It had ten horns and seven heads, with ten crowns on its, on its horns, and on each head a blasphemous name. The beast I saw resembled a leopard, but had feet like those of a bear and a mouth like that of a lion. The dragon gave the beast his power and his throne and great authority. One of the heads of the beast seemed to have a fatal wound. We'll come back to what that means. But the fatal wound had been healed. The whole world was filled with wonder and followed the beast. People worshipped the dragon because he had given authority to the beast. And they also worshipped the beast and asked, who is like the beast? Who can wage war against it? So we see here, there's a lot of mimicking going on. And what do I mean by that? We see here that the dragon tries to take the role of God the Father. And the beast ultimately tries to take the role of Christ that they come alongside and try to be creator, like God the Father, and try to be savior, like, like Jesus. We see here the beast. He had uh, on, on, on his head, uh, on the heads, a blasphemous, blasphemous name. And what does it mean to blaspheme? It just simply means to, to defame uh, and to disrespect. It's to put down the name of Jesus. That's what it means to, to, blas uh, to be blasphemous. To put, put down the name of Jesus, to put down his ways, to put down God, and to say, no, that's not the way to follow. No, like Jesus, he isn't God. Like, no, is that really the truth? No, no, I don't think that really is. This is actually the truth. So we see here a mark 
of the Antichrist is anything or really anyone uh, that opposes the teachings of and about Jesus. And they do it in a very cunning way that leads to people thinking, really, is there a difference? It really seems similar. And in this context here, in this passage, we, we need to know a lot about the Old Testament. Actually, for all of, uh, all of, the, all of Revelations, I, heard, I think I read a fact somewhere that a 90% of the book of Revelations references something to the Old Testament. So John is writing to someone, uh, to, a, to a context in that time that's steeped in Old Testament theology and knowledge. But for those, those of us here today, we're, we're, we're removed <laughs> uh, in time, some 2,000, 3,000 years away, and we need to brush up on reading the Old Testament. But a lot of today's imagery is found in Daniel chapter 7 already. If you joined our class before, this will be familiar to you. In Daniel chapter 7, the four beasts uh, and the ten kings, they, they, they portray the nations that end up attacking and persecuting Israel. So that's who we're talking about here. So we're talking about uh, all the, the images of the bear, uh, the, the images of, uh, of, of, of the dragon, and, and all the heads are forming there, the mouths, and uh, sorry, the lions and the leopards. These are images that have already been brought up in Daniel chapter 7. So here, the four beasts, they're not just four separate beasts like in Daniel 7 and other passages, but they all come together as one. Uh, so this, they all come together as one, which signify now how all the beasts come together to, to form a super beast, uh, for lack of my, a better language, that represents all the beasts or all the empires throughout human history that have stood against God and his people. Okay, we can see it now. It's not so out there anymore, right? So this imagery that we see in Revelation, when we talk about this, this super beast that goes on, it represents all the, the beasts and the empires throughout all of history that have stood against God and his people. And the mimicking continues here. Uh, one of the heads we read that had a fatal wound, but what? The wound has been healed. Does that sound familiar, right? In, in passages where by his wounds we are healed, uh, or also how Jesus will be, will be crushed, but he won't ultimately be destroyed, uh, how God's people would, would, would be persecuted, but then we'll stand uh, steadfast because of this Jesus that we follow. We see here that they try to mimic Christ, that there's a parody of Christ's resurrection here as well. Just like how the crowds were amazed and followed Jesus, here we see because of what the beast does, the whole world was uh, filled with wonder and followed the beast. And this leads to a worship of the beast with people saying, who's like the beast? Who can wage war against it? Who can wage war against it? So this beast represents the political powers and the empires that have come throughout human history that have come and that, that have said that Jesus is not the way and tried to destroy God's people and, and people end up following them saying, yeah, that's the way. That's good. Uh, we're going to denounce Jesus. But this brings into a thought for us here today that as Antichrist, he opposes the teachings of and about Christ, that the whole world here leads to many people being filled with wonder. And it leads to a thought for us today that, some, that wonder isn't always a good thing. There's a lot of things in the world that we think that's wonderful and that's good and that seems to be uh, worth following, but wonder isn't always a good thing, nor a marker of what is good. And I'm saying this now in our time of TikTok and Instagram and short five-second videos. Is it five seconds, 10? I don't know, how many, however long it is. And we see ads everywhere of things telling us what is good. 
And for us to be a little bit more discerning in that, just because people are following, just because it seems wonderful and it's packaged well, it does not mean it is a good thing. Being, uh, something that looks wonderful is not a marker for what is good and what we ought to follow. And the Antichrist here is because he's really good at packaging things and making it seem really good. The Antichrist exercises great authority, as we read in this text. Uh, that's another marker of of the Antichrist and of the beast. Note that the people, they will end up worshiping the beast because of the great authority that they, that they have. My question is here, is that when people are being led astray and follow these uh, political thoughts and follow these empires, I wonder, even for Christians, I wonder if they know whether they're worshiping the beast or not. Whatever it is they're choosing to follow, I wonder in those moments, are they discerning enough to know that they're actually worshiping something else other than God? Just like how I wonder if fish know they're swimming in the water. I don't know. Maybe you can ask one. (laughs) Uh, Or do birds know that they're flying in the air? Or how for some of us, how we take for granted that we just breathe in air and we operate in this world and that the air is just all around us or we take gravity for, for, for granted. I, I wonder if we are aware and people become aware of the things that they worship. It just becomes part of the culture and what they do. So we need to be careful about who and what we follow because this Antichrist is more powerful than us, but not more powerful than God. But we, we, we need to be deceived, uh, discerning to the deceptions of the Antichrist as well because of his great authority. And also another marker we see is that Antichrist he exalts himself, as I alluded to, as an object of, of worship. And there are a lot of things in this world that look a lot better than what we think they actually are. And I want to argue that there are many uh, goals in our lives that we're chasing that actually aren't very godly. That we're chasing things, uh, 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 chase, chasing things in the world that we think are from God, but it's actually from ourselves. Uh, and maybe I want to argue that the influence of the Antichrist actually is more powerful than you ought to think because if you've not been thinking about this at all, then for sure he's been acting and using that and leveraging that in your life. The Antichrist exalts himself as the object of worship, yet it doesn't come up as, hey, I'm the Antichrist, come and follow me because that doesn't work. <laughs> it's not packaged very well. But it might come up, it's like, I'm, he's not going to say I'm the Antichrist, but no, I'm this goal. I'm saying work yourself to the bone. I'm that thought that says, work yourself to the bone. And if you, if, you, if you do that and you follow me, then you achieve the goals of your dreams and that's what you're going to want and that's what's going to fulfill your desires. I come up in the sense of, the Antichrist comes up in the sense of, uh, um, not, not in the physical person saying, follow me, I'm a devil with two horns. But if you need, if you have more of this, if you have a bigger house, you have a car, you have those accolades, you have those grades, you have this in your hands, you have this in your bank account then you will be satisfied. See, worship comes up in different ways and in different forms, not worshiping an object with a pitchfork and, and, and horns. The Antichrist is, is very cunning in the way, and he knows your shortcomings. He knows what you desire. He knows what, what can get you off of uh, following Jesus. Do you know? Maybe he even knows yourself more than you know yourself. So the question for us is, who and what are you following? Is it God and his goals and his desires for your life? Because Satan's really good even at twisting that around. Be like, yeah, that's for God. But is it really? 
Who and what do you worship? And by worship, I mean lifting up. Because an idol, that's all an idol is. An idol is something that you lift above God. And it could be anything. It could even be my own kids. It could be my own relationship. It could be my marriage. It could be, it could be my schooling. It could be my work. It could be a lot of things. We lift above God. In a moment, we lift that above Jesus. That's what becomes an idol. But there's also good news here because we see that God's authority is also unwavering. God's authority and his power in your life is also unwavering. He hasn't let go of you. We read on in verse 5, the beast was given a mouth to utter proud words and blasphemies and to exercise his authority for 42 months. We went over that a couple sermons ago. 42 months just means incomplete, like a defined amount of time. That's not going to be forever. That's what that number represents. So in verse 6, it opened its mouth to blaspheme God and to slander his name and his dwelling place and those who live in heaven. It has given power to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And it was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. That sounds familiar too, right? All inhabitants of the earth will worship the beast, all those whose name have not been written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb who was slain from the creation of the world. So we read here, the beast was given, that term, the phrase was given three times in this passage. The beast was given a mouth to utter proud words. The beast was given power uh, to wage war against God's holy people and to conquer them. And thirdly, the beast was given authority over every tribe, people, language, and nation. But the question I have, and maybe you have, is given by whom? Given by whom? You see, this power and this authority, this, uh, this ability wasn't actually given by the beast, but by God. And you're like, what? See, God's power and sovereignty is so, uh, is so magnificent and so uh, awesome and so awe-inspiring that even the evil and the pain and the suffering in the world, even the actions of the beast can't take place without God allowing it. I know that's hard to wrestle with. But that's true in terms of the power of, of God. All earthly power is borrowed power. All earthly power is borrowed power, whether good or bad. All, all time on earth is borrowed time. Every breath that we have, that anyone has, is a breath that's been borrowed by God, is a gift from God. But the question is, which I'll save this for another sermon. I'll leave you hanging a little bit. That's an apologetics kind of question. Why would God do that? Uh, why would God allow that to happen? And I think my short answer here is to test and to try his people. To put them through the fire and to refine them and to make them stronger and to build up people that are stronger followers with, with, with stronger faith. Uh, that's going to make it through uh, all the testing and to be persevere and to endure, to sift out the wheat and the chaff uh, using biblical language. Because we see here at the end of this text that those who really worship God, those who really worship God will find their names in the Lamb's book of life. Even with the suffering, even with all that's going on, for those that hang on and have this faith in Christ, their name will be written in the Lamb's book of life, the Lamb, that the Lamb who was slain, the blood that's covered all his believers, that's enough uh, to save and to bring them into relationship with Jesus, the Lamb's book of life, everyone that believes will be found in that book. So the question is, maybe an application for us, is how has your life been consistent with the life in Christ? 
That's a deep question for reflection. How has your life been consistent with the life in Christ? And what changes is God calling you towards? Because our God is a God of grace, a God of love, and he showed his love for us on the cross already by Jesus dying on the cross, which we'll remember and celebrate later with, in a little bit with communion. But what change is he calling you towards? And how is he calling you to live a life that's closer to him? And thirdly and lastly, there's a call here. Even though we go through spiritual warfare, there's a call here for Christians to endure and to be faithful. The Christians call to endurance and faithfulness. Verse 9, whoever has ears, let them hear. If anyone is to go into captivity, into captivity they will go. If anyone is to be killed with the sword, with the sword they will be killed. This calls for patient and patient endurance and faithfulness on the part of God's people. We see here that this is a quote from Jeremiah 15. If you're not sure, you can always, and I check it, at the end of bottom of your footnote, there's a, always references to passages that's been referred to before. Here in verse 10, simply, it's hard, simply is this. It's hard for us to uh, follow this or to believe this, but simply God is saying, trust me. Whatever's going to happen is going to happen, but I will see you through. I am the God that's all-powerful. I am the God that's able. I'm the God that's able to make it, to help see you through your pain, your suffering, your sickness, your current trial, your doubts and your worries and your anxieties and your depressions and all the illnesses and struggles of your life. I am the God that's powerful and able to make it through. If you're feeling lonely, I'm the God that's walking with you at this very moment, walking alongside of you. But trust me, because whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen still. And I have a purpose, and I have a, pur- a purpose for you in the pain in this life. But, but the Antichrist aims to wear down his believers, which is why, I wear down God's believers, which is why there's a call here for endurance and faithfulness. So my last reflection question here is, how do you need to hold firm? What in your life are you struggling with and you can't see God at work at this moment? How can you bring that up to someone that you trust, someone that can pray with you, someone that can walk alongside of you? What part of your life are you trying to hold on right now to God and you say, I need you? And there's five observations from Daryl Johnson. Uh, and I'll try to go through this. Uh, this has gone on longer than I always plan. <laughs> uh, But five calls, five observations, I'll just read it through for us from this text. The text calls us to have a healthy suspicion of political institutions. Number two, hold allegiance to political institutions seriously but lightly to the the degree that the state is consistent with the kingdom of God. Meaning that number one and two is that, yeah, God has placed authority over us, and it's interesting that it's Canada Day weekend, that, yes, God has put leadership over us, we're to have a healthy suspicion, and we're to hold it seriously but lightly because God's word ultimately is the word that we follow. Number three, because why we pledge allegiance to the transnational kingdom of God. Our identity is in Christ Jesus alone, that Jesus unites us. Not just because of whether we're Canadians or not, not because of whatever nationality, whatever ethnicity, it's because of the blood of Christ. It's Jesus that unites us as his body. Number four, remember that the beast cannot be destroyed by human sword. He keeps coming back. He keeps being healed and keeps resurrecting, whether it comes in the forms of the Babylonians uh, or it comes in the forms of the Nazis. 
uh, whatever it is, they come up in different forms through politics, uh, through, through political regimes. So the only thing that defeats the beast is the sword of the spirit, Ephesians 6, and the sword that comes from Jesus' mouth in Revelations 1 and 19. In other words, you've got to be in God's word. That's the way that we fight. That's the way that we fight the spiritual warfare that we have going on in our lives. And number five, the call to worship, to worship the God of gods. Uh, and just as how birds fly in the air and fish swim in the sea, us human beings, we were created to worship. And if we're not going to worship God, it's going to be something else. The question for us is, who will I worship? Who will I adore? Who, gets, who and what gets my attention? And from this moment on, who will have my undivided allegiance? I have this picture here of our church this, this week, and it was sent from a, a, a church member of ours. You can't really see it on this photo uh, too much, but our church worship team was practicing here on a Thursday night, and so one of our church members was walking by, and I saw a woman, uh, if you see her in the, right on the, the sidewalk there, uh, just kneeling there uh, praying. Uh, I don't know who this person is. I don't know whether they were praying or not. It seems like they were in a posture of prayer. Uh, and it was interesting. At one point, I even heard that she was raising her hands out uh, as the worship song was being, being played. And this, this comes to mind for me. It's like we are fighting. We're operating in the real world, but people are watching us as well. That people are watching us, that, that our church is set in a very real context here in South Vancouver, that we're making differences in a way that we even don't know beyond ourselves. So the call for us is that I don't know who this woman is, and maybe she's here, I don't know, uh, or maybe even watching uh, or recording, uh, but it reminds us that as a church that there's a very spiritual war that we're fighting, and then prayer is the way forward. And there's just people in need of knowing Jesus. There's people in need uh, of, 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 of a relationship with, with Christ, but also with one another. And this picture just reminds me that, that, yeah, we have our programs and we have our planning. We have all those things going on. But God works in ways that are way beyond what I could ever imagine. I don't know what God is doing in that person's heart in that moment. And same as in the people in your lives that you encounter and the way that you live out your faith. I don't know how God is going to use you to do immeasurably more than what you could ever ask for and imagine. But I trust that as you follow God, that he is using you as, a, as an agent to fight against the spiritual warfare that's going on in the world, to raise up disciples in your family, uh, to raise up disciples at your workplace, to raise up, raise up disciples in your schools, in whatever context he calls you to. And that's the prayer I have for us here, is I'll leave you with that image, that we're fighting a very real fight. And there's people that we're impacting this beyond us. But God is in control, and God knows all things. I'm going to move on, move into a time of offering now. I don't know what's percolating in your mind, uh, what's going on. Maybe that image is still in the back of, uh, in your mind right now, of the woman praying, praying and kneeling outside of the church. But I pray that as a church community, that our doors will always be open that people will come and to experience Jesus, that our prayer in the last few years has been, especially through the pandemic, that as a church, that this sanctuary would, uh, this church, it truly would be a sanctuary, it would be a place of rest for people to come and to enjoy and experience God's presence and enjoy God's people, uh, through, uh, enjoy his, uh, to experience his love through his, his people. 
And we're reminded that through every communion, that's what we're celebrating. And today, I'm going to go a little bit liturgical, a few minutes over. Give me some grace. But I experienced this at Tyndale, where I was studying a couple weeks ago. Uh, there's, a, there's a joke, uh, I don't know if it's a joke, at Tyndale, that you can't attend Tyndale and leave without experiencing some sort of spiritual formation. Uh, so they try to really uh, ha- shape us and form our hearts and our souls in a very real way. And this was led by one of my professors, Dr. Michael Krauss, and I have his permission to lead it. Um, but in the midst of this, uh, all that's going on, the spiritual warfare, the pain and the brokenness and the end times and the last days and, and Satan and Antichrist, in the midst of all of this, the promises of Scripture still stand. The promises of God still stand. Jesus was tempted in every way, just as we are, but he held on. And he's going to help us to hold firmly to the faith that we profess, no matter, no matter what we go, go through and we be, can be confident 